That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. It is treason, says Donald Trump. Yeah, how dare anybody criticize me from inside or outside the White House? Treason. Hey, what do you say, everybody? (laughs) Relax. It's not treason to call the president an idiot. Thursday, September 6th. Great to see you today. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Bill Press Show Wow, the news never stops. The uh, body blows uh, and bombshells to the uh, Trump White House never seem to stop. We've seen a uh, nonstop cascade of them this week, and they continue with this uh, incredibly unprecedented, never seen anything like it, uh, turn of events yesterday where the New York Times publishes a scathing op-ed piece about the Trump White House written by somebody inside the White House. The Times knows who he or she is, um, knows they can be trusted, knows they have an important bird's eye, first-person point of view that is worth the rest of us hearing. Uh, And they agreed to publish this op-ed anonymously. You can bet. You talk about a witch hunt. The witch hunt is going on inside the White House right now to find out who wrote it. Uh, And they will be hung at sunrise by Donald Trump himself on the South Lawn. All right. We'll bring up to date on all the news of the day, plus the Kavanaugh hearings and the latest on the Woodward book and the latest on Trump must go my book. All of it coming up. And your comments, get them in right now on Twitter at BP Show on Twitter, at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Right. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. So Sasha Baron Cohen had this new show on Showtime, Who is America? We talked about it a couple times. Yeah. And he interviewed a lot of prominent people, including Judge Roy Moore. And he seemed to imply that he had a device that could detect... When you're lying or when you're cheating or something. Or, well, it? when you're telling a lie. Yeah. Or, and, and also when uh, there is a 
um, sexual predator yes, nearby. That, right. And so the device was going off all during when <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen was interviewing Roy Moore. Well, Roy Moore has struck back. He has filed a $95 million lawsuit against Sasha Baron Cohen since he was tricked into appearing on the show. Uh, documents were obtained by Variety and TMZ. So the idea is that Sasha Baron Cohen played an Israeli security expert who was there uh, and had developed a machine that detects pedophiles. And so he waved it at Roy Moore, and yeah. then the device beeped. Roy Moore abruptly uh, ended the interview and walked off, but that wasn't enough. He says he wants $95 million. Will it go anywhere? Probably well, not. No, 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 no. You know what I love about this? This is great. Because Roy Moore will have to go into court and <laughs> prove that he is not an outright talking <laughs> idiot. Yes, that's right. Yes. No, seriously. Yes. He will have to prove that he's not just a moron. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Uh, also, <laughs> uh, we go to San Francisco where uh, the Millennium Tower, which was built in 2005, has got mm -hmm. some major problems. It's leaning. I know. It's yeah. sinking. Yeah. And yesterday, it turns out, there was a giant crack in the window on the 36th floor. This is going to be the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's apparently. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, so people are freaking out for obvious it's reasons. It's built on fill from the bay. Well, yes. But as many people have pointed out, this was supposedly built to withstand, you know, mm -hmm. something that San Francisco deals with. Earthquakes. Earthquakes. Yeah. And so if it's not dealing with earthquakes and it's already cracking and leaning and sinking and all of that, then how can it be expected to be safe? That whole downtown San Francisco is built on mud. I mean, that's kind of terrifying, right? You would think by now that they're going to figure that out, right? San Francisco's yeah. supervisors, man, uh, is Aaron Peskin came out and said, you know, look, again, this was built to sustain mm -hmm. earthquakes. We've got to figure this out. Tear it down. We've got to figure this out. This is the Bill Press Show. The resistance is no longer just outside the White House. Now the resistance has moved inside of the White House. Oh, my God. Hey, what do you say, everybody? The Bill Press Show on a Thursday, September 6th. As John Kelly, chief of staff, says himself, this is crazy town. Crazy town. And we are living in it, and it gets crazier every day. Hey, so good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show coming to you live from our nation's capital and our studio here on Capitol Hill Hill where we uh, work hard and run hard trying to keep up with all the news of the day and bring you the news of the day uh, every day, Monday through Friday. But, boy, it's tough because there's so much going on. So we got Brett Kavanaugh, second day of hearings at the Hill. This, 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 there were still a lot of protests, uh, but fewer protests than there were policy questions yesterday, uh, Democrats particularly grilling uh, Brett Kavanaugh and not getting many good answers or many answers at all, on particularly three issues, health care, all three going to be very important before the Supreme Court, health care, uh, reproductive rights, where he wouldn't answer at all, and presidential powers, where he either ducked it or contradicted himself. That was one big, whole big issue. Uh, the president and the White House continuing 
uh, to just overreact, I believe, and certainly react very negatively and strongly uh, about Bob Woodward, calling him now all kinds of names uh, over his new book called Fear. And then that was Eclipse, Woodward's book, one day after uh, the first excerpts came out, totally eclipsed by this stunning op-ed in the New York Times where a senior administration officer writing anonymously talks about the total meltdown inside the White House and that we have been saved from Donald Trump only by unsung heroes inside the White House who have prevented him from doing any more damage. That's kind of the major stories, the lineup of the day that we'll be bringing you here as we join you uh, all across this land and all around the globe online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also join you, joining you coast to coast on Free Speech TV and, of course, on the radio out in the greater Chicago area. Hello, WCPT and uh, statewide in Indiana. On Indiana Talks with a great lineup of guests today, our good friend Stan Collender. Uh, The Budget Guy blog is his deal, and he'll be joining us to talk about a lot of the economic issues of the day. Uh, Plus, a a big bill that uh, Bernie Sanders has introduced called Stop Bezos Act. I guess Bernie's decided, uh, number one, he's going to give up his Amazon Prime. And number two, he doesn't want any good good press out of the Washington Post because he's Right. Attacking Jeff Bezos. Uh, but anyhow, Stan Collins is going to be with us. And then uh, Eugene Scott from the Washington, aforesaid Washington Post uh, will be here as a uh, friend of Bill and will be joined by Cameron Joseph, senior political correspondent for Talking Points Memo, who was on the front lines yesterday. He was doing pool duty at the White House when Donald Trump went off the rails, totally off the rails, uh, in the East Room of the White House about the... Uh, uh, New York Times op-ed. So uh, there you go. Great lineup of guests, and it's good to have you with us as well. And don't forget, we always want to hear from you uh, and your comments on Twitter uh, at BP Show. I kind of feel like we should have a stiff drink waiting for Cameron when he gets here from uh, having to work pool duty yesterday because what an insane day to have to cover the White House. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, if you go out and get one for him, you... <laughs> it's around for everybody. It's around for yeah, everybody. Yeah, 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 yeah right, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Here it is. Let's start with the big bombshell of the day. Uh, those of you watching on TV can see it. Op-ed page of the New York Times. Headline, The Quiet Resistance Inside the Trump Administration. And here's what the Times says about this op-ed. This is stunning, folks. Stunning. Um, and I, 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 let me just start. I think we see a three-part punch. Three part, three body blows in a row, boom, 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 in the last two days uh, toward the Trump White House and exposing the danger of the Trump White House and the complete meltdown of the Trump White House. Okay. Woodward book, New York Times op-ed, and my book, Trump Must Go. Uh, we'll talk about all three of them. I'll start again with this op-ed page, and here's what... The New York Times, they released this online yesterday, and really, it was like a Scud missile hit the White House. The Times, here's what the Times says, because this is, by the way, all the time that I've been doing news or, or, or covering the White House or doing TV, doing radio, being involved in politics, I, I never remember ever seeing 
an anonymous op-ed. I mean, the idea is you have an opinion. I've done, I've done countless op-eds in many, many different papers. And you have an opinion, you write it up, you put your name on it, and if they think it's worth publishing, it comes up as an op-ed. Op-ed, the opposite, opposite page of the editorial page. But an anonymous, particularly by a senior administration official who's attacking, criticizing the president of the United States that he or she works for? I mean, you talk about a mole inside the White House. So again, the Times recognizes how unusual this is, and it says the Times today is taking the rare step of publishing an anonymous op-ed, op-ed essay. We have done so at the request of the author, a senior official in the Trump administration whose identity is known to us and whose job would be jeopardized by its disclosure. So this guy came to them, this person, we don't know, man or woman. What do you think? You could speculate about that for a long time. Uh, this person comes to the Times and says things are so bad that our country is in peril, our country is in danger, and we would be in really bad shape if it weren't for a small band of us inside the White House who prevent Donald Trump from doing any more damage than, than he has. Uh, he, the, this person says that the root of the problem was one of the key sentences. The root of the problem is the president's amorality. In other words, he doesn't believe in anything. Doesn't know anything, doesn't believe in anything. Anyone who works with him knows he is not moored to any discernible first principles that guide his decision-making. Whoa. Uh, meetings with him. Meetings with him veer off the topic and off the rails. He engages in repetitive rants, and his impulsiveness results in half-baked, ill-informed, and occasionally reckless decisions that have to be walked back. And he, he, again, or she continues, this erratic behavior would be more concerning. Here's, here's why, again, things are worse than they are. This erratic behavior would be more concerning if it weren't for unsung heroes in and around the White House. Some of his aides have been cast as villains by the media, but in private, they have gone to great lengths to keep bad decisions contained to the West Wing, though they are clearly not always successful. Uh, that is a stunning picture, again, of a White House in meltdown and a president out of control, clueless, unfit to govern, and resistance operating inside the White House and so alarmed that that person feels it's necessary to inform the entire American people and to warn all of us about how bad things are. Stunning. I've never seen anything like that. None, none of us have. And of course, no wonder uh, that Donald Trump just went off the rails uh, in responded to it yesterday, you know, he was meeting with a group of police officers in the East Room of the White House, another one of these phony meetings that they arrange just about every day to one thing on his schedule to show that he's doing something. 
Um, he calls <laughs> he calls this th- whoever whoever uh, wrote it gutless. So if the failing New York Times has an anonymous editorial, can you believe it? Anonymous, meaning gutless, a gutless editorial. Uh, we're doing a great job. The poll numbers are through the roof. Our poll numbers are great. And guess what? Nobody is going to come close to beating me in 2020 because of what we've done. Uh, Poll numbers are doing great. Yeah, 60% of the latest Washington Post poll, ABC poll, 60% of the American people disapprove of the job that he's doing. He is the first president in modern times never to reach 50% approval during his first, the first two years of his presidency. Poll numbers doing great. Oh, yeah, great. Just ask me. I'll tell you how great I am. You know, I mean, he's made a career out of BSing people. He got to the White House by BSing the American people. And now that he's president, he's trying to BS us past. You know, it doesn't work anymore. I kind of get that impression. Seriously, it doesn't work anymore. Like, it definitely worked to get him to this point. Oh, totally. There's no denying that. We were fleeced as a country. Right. But I don't think it works so well anymore. No, I don't either. And by the way, gutless, I think it took a lot of guts to write that op-ed. Yeah, you know, there was sort of a debate online yesterday. I'm a little torn on it because I I agree that's like a tough thing to do. But you know what would be a lot cooler is to not work for Donald Trump and have never taken a job for Donald Trump in the first place. By the way, I agree with that, but I'm torn too because I'm glad there's some people there. I know. I'm the same way. (laughs) I'm the same way. (laughs) You know, I mean, this. I tell you, people have been around for a while. And presidential historians have pointed out that the, the, the analogy to this might be the parallel. Maybe the last time we saw anything like this is when Richard Nixon, in his final days, when he was just getting drunk all the time because he knew he was going to be thrown out of the White House, uh, Defense Secretary Arthur Schles- uh, James Schlesinger um, told his people at the Pentagon, if you get an order from the president to launch a nuclear war, ignore it. Because this this guy's a madman now. Good grief! Right. So, you know, you have to say occasionally it's good to have those kind of people around. Yeah, sure. Right. No, absolutely. And this does really the the thing about this op-ed that I think rings true is it mirrors exactly what we heard in Bob Woodward's book yesterday. <laughs> yeah. The day before that, and and he named names that Gary Cohn and um. Rob Porter, the staff secretary. Rob Porter, you know, Trump's little pet bo- poodle, right? That they stole documents from Trump's desk so that he wouldn't, couldn't sign them. Documents that he wanted to sign. So that, that's, that's very much like what we're hearing uh, in this op-ed. By the way, to, to, on, on the op-ed, um, the, the uh, CNN has a list of... <laughs> 13 people that they think may have written this op-ed. Oh, boy. All right. So here goes. I'll just throw these out. You guys could, uh, you could, you could decide. Uh, it could be Don McGahn, the White House counsel. Mm-hmm. Dan Coats, director of national intelligence. Kellyanne Conway, no effing way. No, no way. No way. Take her off the list. John Kelly, chief of staff. Jeff Sessions. Kristen Nielsen, uh, Homeland Security. James Mattis, Defense Secretary. Fiona Hill, who worked under uh, McMaster at the National Security Council. Um, Nikki Haley. Javanka. No, 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 don't. Take Javanka off the list, too. Right, no. Uh, Melania. No. 
take Melania off the list, I think, too. Uh, not that she might agree with everything in it. I don't think she would have written it. Or, here's an interesting one, Mike Pence. Okay. Okay. Now, mm, Mike Pence. Now, all I got to say is, I'm not sure Mike Pence wrote it, but I want to point out that in response to the Woodward book and the New York Times op-ed, we have heard not a peep from Mike Pence. So, there is... Not a peep. Uh, on on Twitter, there was a lot of conspiracy theory going around, yeah. people throwing <laughs> it around, and everything seems to come back to you. There's a word in that anonymous op-ed of the New York Times, Lodestar. Mm. L-O-D-E-S-T-A-R. Lodestar. And people have pointed out that Mike Pence has a habit of using that phrase. In fact, here he is, a montage of him saying it eight different times over the course of his political career. Who continues to be the lodestar. That's from 2005. That's from 2001. That's from 2018. That's going to continue to be a lodestar. That's from 2017. Lodestar. It really was the lodestar. So, like, he, I'm not saying that that's a smoking gun or anything, but that's not a word that you hear a lot of people use. Uh, well, an- another thing leaning, uh, well, pointing, if you will, in uh, Mike Pence's direction is this. I forgot to mention this in, in reading uh, the uh, from the uh, op-ed here, uh, and this may be the most important part of all. Quote, Given the instability many witnessed, there were early wit- whispers within the cabinet of invoking the 25th Amendment, which would start a complex process for removing the president. Who would step up if the 25th <laughs> Amendment were invoked? Hmm. hmm. So I think it's, uh, this is all speculation, of course, but hey. Don't stop us from having some fun. That's right. right? Is um, if Mike Pence didn't write it, I I firmly believe that Mike Pence is in league with whoever wrote it, and is in sympathy with whoever wrote it. Uh, and um, we'll just. But I also believe this: it won't be long before we know. I I, I think that's a hundred percent true. This is not the right. days of yore where you no. could sort of get away with this. People are going to yeah. sleuth and find out. We'll find. Yeah, we'll find out. There, 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 there are some tracks here. There's some fingerprints. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's a great story today in the New York Times about how the Brits, who have cameras everywhere, uh, tracked down the two Russians who poisoned the uh, the former uh, 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 dissident who was in Russia with his daughter. And they tracked them. They took him months, but they, you know, they tracked them down, looking at all every camera shot from every, I think, bakery, every barber shop or whatever in England and the airport for months and months and months. And they kept seeing these two guys, and they finally put it together. Somebody's going to put it together who wrote this op-ed. The the other part about same this, kind of dedication. Absolutely. The other part about this is that they even reference in that op-ed is this is not just one person, right? Like. There's a group. They even reference there's a, a the, resistance. the resistance inside Unsung the White House. Heroes. Yeah, so there's so, a group of them. Yeah, yeah. So somebody, yeah. there are multiple <laughs> people in the White House who know exactly who wrote that. Yeah, right. And if there's anything that we've learned, they they have a hard time not leaking yeah. at the White House. Someone's going to say something. It wasn't Sarah Sanders either, for sure. I right. don't think so. Okay, now, I said triple punch, boom, boom, boom. The thing about this op-ed and what's it makes it so incredible is it totally reflects what we heard from Paul Woodward. 
uh, Bob Woodward, just the day before. And his book comes out next week, Fear, where Woodward talks about the same thing. Um, uh, top staffers in the White House not trusting the president. Top staffers in the White House saying, calling him incredible stuff, idiot, moron, and other things we can't repeat on the air. Uh, and again, as I mentioned, people stealing documents uh, from his desk so that he couldn't sign them. And a White House in total disarray, in total, in total meltdown. And uh, Donald Trump also railing out yesterday about the Woodward book. I mean, <laughs> so first of all, remember, he, the first thing you said was about, about Bob Woodward is, I really trust this guy. He's fair. I like him. You know, I've known him a long time. <laughs> yeah, that was before he read the excerpts from this book. Uh, now he just says he's a flim-flam artist, basically, who, uh, who's gone, who attacks every president. He had the same problem with President Obama. He had a tremendous problem with President Bush. Every time he wrote a book, they were complaining about it. They were complaining about the lack of accuracy. And I understand him, and that's what he does. And I fully understood that before. Uh, in the end, uh, I'm very happy with the way it turned out because I think the book has been totally discredited. Totally discredited? By whom? Yeah, by <laughs> him and Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Otherwise, everybody believes it. And again... The thing about the Woodward book is he totally reflects. So the op-ed piece totally reflects what Woodward says. Woodward totally reflects what Michael Wolff said in Fire and Fury. And even Amarosa Manigo Newman says in her book, Unhinged, they all paint the exact same picture of the White House. And so does one more book I'll tell you about. So we kept multiple sources here again. Uh, and uh, back on the Woodward book, Donald Trump says it's pure, nothing, nothing in it's true. The book is a work of fiction. If you look back <laughs> at Woodward's past, he had the same problem with other presidents. He likes to get publicity, sell some books. And he also said yesterday, I, I thought it was funny, that Woodward, um, so all he's doing is trying to make a buck. Let me tell you, I know Bob Woodward well. He does not need, he does not need a buck, okay? He has written 17 books about presidents. Pres some of them are about, but they're political insider books, I would say, because one of them was about Alan Greenspan, I remember. I've read every one of them. Twelve of them were number one bestsellers, okay? Bob Weber's done fine, just fine. So he's not writing this to make a book. Trump also said he timed this <laughs> for the midterm elections. No. Bob Woodward is not a political hack. He is not trying to help Democrats take back the House. Baloney. Then he also said Woodward timed it to try to derail the Kavanaugh proceedings. I mean, give it up, right? Just, I mean, just, just, just grab at any straw you've got at that point. You know, he's just throwing. You know what Donald Trump should do when a, with a book like this comes out? Ignore it. Yeah. Ignore it. It's called punching down. Don't it's say, something he can't resist. Don't say anything. Just say, oh, yeah. Just a book or whatever. I mean, just just ignore it. Yeah, it's got, yeah he, he does have more important things to do. He yeah. mentioned Bush and Obama, right? Because yeah. Woodward wrote critical <laughs> books about both of those presidents. Right. Did either one of them turn it into like a mudslinging match? Yeah, right. No, they just ignored it and did their job. Yeah. So one, two, three, one, the op-ed, two, the Woodward book, three, my new book, Trump Must Go. This is, this is I call it the companion to the Woodward book. He and I didn't plan it this way. Yeah, but he lays out the chaos in the White House. Uh, and I put chapter and verse, the strong evidence behind 100 reasons why 
We can't stand this any longer. This cannot go on any longer. Trump must go. The 100 reasons to dump him and, I add, maybe one to keep him. Uh, comes out next week. Again, um, go to our go to our website, BillPressShow.com. You can find out more about the book, when it's available, how it's available, where it's available, and all that kind of stuff. But again, covering the Trump White going to the briefings at the Trump White House, covering that as closely as I do, you know, I see and I find the same things that we that we see in that and talk about them here in the op-ed, in the Woodward book, in the Michael Wolf book, in the Amoroso book. When so many sources come to the same conclusions of what's going on down there in terms of how inept Donald Trump is and how dangerous he is to the entire country and how we would be off a lot worse off if there weren't some brave souls there who are trying to thwart him, uh, including the De- Secretary of Defense, well then, you know what? It's got to be true. It is true. And it is getting to a critical period where one way or the other, and I don't know, I don't know how he goes, whether it's going to be there. There are a lot of a lot of possibilities, right? He could be charged with Robert by Robert Mueller for serious for for crimes. He could choose to resign. He could the 25th Amendment could be in, invoked. Uh, there, there are a whole bunch of ways he's got to go one. But one way or the other, the process has got to start. And I think it starts with Democrats taking back control of the House. That's the point I make in my book. Democrats taking back control of the House in, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, in just two months, in November 2018. Uh, all of that coming up. Hey, by the way, a couple of other little things, Peter. You're a wordsmith. I don't know whether you noticed this yesterday. Uh, I think it was Miriam. Dictionary, Webster, Merriam-Webster, what they put out, new words. This new year's words. new words. Yeah, they're new words. There's some very interesting new words. I, I was impressed. Uh, Instagrammable. Yeah. That's a hard word to spell, but it's Instagrammable. Yeah. Instagrammable. Just two M's, not three. Right, <laughs> right, yes. But it, we know what it means, but- Yeah, it's pretty it, self-explanatory. Right, it's, okay. It's another way of saying picturesque. <laughs> Uh, there are, um, it's, boy, that look at that. That's Instagrammable. Yeah, I, yeah. Sort of, it is a mouthful. Yeah. Um, and then I always like these, like uh, LOL, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah, yeah, a yeah. word. Everybody knows what LOL is. Okay. Here are a couple I did not know. All right. You probably do it because you're way ahead of me on this. T L D R. Yeah. Too long, didn't read. Too long, didn't read. Yeah. I like that. That's really good. That's handy. That's that's T L D R. Mm-hmm. I usually steer away from using online proto language that people have adopted, but like TLDR, I actually appreciate because if there's a long piece or a long yeah, comment, yeah, just, just yeah. sum it up for me. Yeah, yeah. Just tell me in a sentence. TLDR. Right. <laughs> TLDR. Yeah. Uh, here's the third one. Goat. Yeah. 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 Greatest, of, greatest of all time. I knew you'd be ahead of me on these. Greatest I love of that all time. I mean, goat has a lot of other meanings. Yes, yeah, indeed. We do. Right? I have a teenager. I have to know these things. Uh, okay, but <laughs> gee, goat, greatest of yeah, all time. That's the goat right yeah. there. Pretty soon we will be speaking in. <laughs> it'll be there. Won't be any paragraphs, no sentences. It'll be just a little. Yeah. yeah. TLDR. TLDR. <laughs> well, I do a whole paragraph. <laughs> Oh, man, I'll tell you. And we're just getting started, folks. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's take a quick break and bring uh, in Stan Collender. The Budget Guy blog. Uh, is Donald Trump really going to shut down the government? It looks like he wants to. God, does he want to. It's the Bill Press Show. Your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, Thursday, September 6th. 
This is the Bill Press Show. All right, here we go on uh, Thursday, September 6th, the Bill Press Show. Hello, hello, hello. And uh, thanks for being with us today. Lots and lots to talk about. As we come to you live from uh, our perch here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we're brought to you by the International Association of Firefighters, those brave men and women of the fi- our firefighting departments nationwide. They're on the front lines every day protecting American families under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger. We <laughs> salute them, uh, thank them, wave as they go by, and send them a big thank you from uh, all of us. Here in studio with us, Stan Collender, the Budget Guy blog, the, bud- the Budget Guy blog, Blog. Blog.com, is it? No, no, no it's thebudgetguy.blog. Thebudgetguy.blog. Put the dot in the wrong place. Hello, Stan. How are you? I'm great. All right. It's I'm good great. to see you. Thank you. Uh, uh, you. I need you to mention my Twitter handle is at thebudgetguy. Okay. All right. So, but Done. At the all, budget guy. We'll so now my life again. is now complete. All right. Thank you. <laughs> see, it was worth coming in. You can leave now. Uh, <laughs> no, hang in there. But first, we have been uh, at this for uh, just a little while here this morning, and- uh, the Twitter's been going crazy, Absolutely. Peter. Remember, we're on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. We're reading your comments all throughout the program. A couple different comments. A lot, uh, as you can imagine, there's a lot of speculation going on mm-hmm. about who wrote the op-ed. Uh, Anne says, Sarah Huckabee Sanders probably is the only staffer in the White House who would not agree with the article in its entirety. You said you, we were pretty sure, and I agree. Uh, I, it, yeah, it I think that's her. a good point. Yeah, yeah definitely was, was not her. Was not her. Uh, uh, I'm telling you, it was not Kellyanne Conway. And it was not Kellyanne Conway. I mentioned the Lodestar thing that everybody's oh, pointing yeah, to. Yeah. Uh, Stevie <laughs> says, anybody think that the anonymous writer could be... Steve Bannon, maybe he used Lodestar to implicate Pence. Uh, also, hmm. KG says Lodestar could just be a misdirection. But as Phil says, Mike Pence really, really wants to be POTUS. Just saying. So if anybody actually, you know, benefits from that, it yeah. would be Mike Pence. And um, one other uh, quick comment that I think was but just go ahead, yeah. Because Stan had to. Well, I was Pence's office put out a statement this morning saying it wasn't him, saying that he. Um, oh, if we it, finally heard from him. I didn't yeah. see that. So, oh. so he put out a statement that said that he signs op-eds when he writes them. So I mean, it sounds like it's the equivalent of Nixon saying, "I am not a crook." Right, right, right. <laughs> Did really? Yeah. Oh God. Oh yeah. You know why? Because I think he was forced. To, he he felt pressured to do that because for two days he hasn't said beans. Yeah. About the Woodward book yeah. or the op-ed? Well, and he said something good about Jeff Sessions. The, yeah, at the yes, same time, yes, right? he did. All right, right. so so the plot thickens. Right. Uh, one final comment that I think this is my the the, the best uh, analysis of all of this. Kevin mm-hmm. says these unsung heroes that are uh, yeah. they talk about it in the uh, op-ed are protecting the Republican agenda and party not the actual United States, which well, this could be a way for the Republicans to sort of rehab their image post-Donald Trump. This is the first step in that. Well, it is worth saying and pointing out that this, the writer of this op-ed says that he does think that Trump has done some good things, and overall he sort of likes the Republican agenda. It's just that Trump is such an extremist that they, that they worry about that, right? So, But, yeah, so he's... Uh, Somebody's laying the groundwork post Trump to say, "Hey, I was there during right. the Trump administration. I helped protect this country. Republicans are not all like Donald Trump." That's what it feels like to me. Anyway, if you have a comment on any speculation or who it might be, again, find us on Twitter at BP 
show. Yeah. We'll figure it out by the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay. exactly. uh, so, Stan, you've been around for a while. I mean, do you ever see anything like this? No, I've never. Look, I, I worked for Elizabeth Holtzman when she was on the House Judiciary Committee impeaching Richard Nixon. Oh, and well, I and so yeah. I, now I wasn't a member of the committee staff at the time. <laughs> I was just a member of her personal staff. But we watched pretty closely what was going on. And this this uh, nothing there holds a candle to what's going on now. I've never seen this kind of inside, uh, you know, uh, disc- efforts to, to, to destroy a president. Or, you know, or, the British the British uh, system is or tradition, I guess, if you have the profound disagreement like this or worry about it, you would resign in honor, right? And and yeah. publicly say, I just cannot tolerate this anymore. I can't be part of this operation anymore. You know, we don't, ha- sadly, we don't have that tradition in this country. Well, we did have a president resign, all right? But the other thing well, about the not British- a, Not with honor. Right, right. I'm talking right. about the people who work around him who would say- Oh, right, right. I'm no, sorry. No, under Bill Clinton, I'm just remembering, there are typical people, I forget who they were, top people in the HHS, I think, when he signed the welfare reform bill. Right. Top, top. But, but, you know, the other thing about the British system is that there'd be a vote of no, no, no confidence. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and we don't only, have that. Not only is there no vote of no confidence, there's no discussion among the Republicans on the Hill. They seem to be running away. Now, that was my view of what, when I read, read this, was that the author was, was, the anonymous author was trying to give the Republicans on the Hill permission to look into this, to, 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 to change hmm. the, you know, now, um, I'm not sure he or she has succeeded, but uh, but uh, that was that was one of the two things I, I thought. And the other thing is, why be anonymous? I, I think there was a real fear about physical violence in in, retro, in response. That is, someone was fearing for his or her life. Hmm. And given the way the country's been going these days, that that I mean, you probably yeah, got yeah. the same kind of threats that I have. Sure. Uh, sure. You know, so um, well, yeah, I, I, I could I, see that someone would. Uh, uh, could be afraid of themselves, what might happen to themselves or their families. Or their families. If they came forth, yeah. Um, good, but, no, that's a good point. That's but, a sobering but, point. But but we should, you know, the, the, the big point about all of this is that it's not so much about who wrote it as about what it's actually saying. And mm-hmm. that is that the president's not competent. Somebody who presumably is competent to judge that is saying, I've, I, you know, I, I'm experienced in politics. I've looked at this and this guy just doesn't, doesn't have it. Um, and in fact, now I, I'm going to be a little yeah. glib here, but... Um, Given the Woodward book one day, the, the the anonymous op-ed, the next thing must be a family intervention. Uh, you know that 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 you yeah, wonder who uh, in the family uh, would do uh, it, but I mean that that seems to be the way it's going for Trump. Well, <laughs> Donald Jr. is not going to do it. No, yeah, it's got to be Tiffany. <laughs> it's got to be Tiffany. Yeah, it's got to be Tiffany. No, not Ivanka either. No. I mean, the others they're they're living high on the hog because yeah. he's president, right? They don't want to give that up. Don Jr., uh, uh, what's the one with, that looks like he's got Habsburg? Eric, uh, Eric Trump, uh, uh, yeah. Ivanka. They're not going to give that up. No. Tiffany, you know, Tiffany, d- welcome d- to the resistance. <laughs> uh, have you seen Hamilton? I have, yes. Well, the star of Hamilton for me is George III, right? Oh, of course. Who was mad as a hatter, as I said, right? Right. Well, to me, this is so like Donald Trump is like George III. I mean, they're... George III was crazy. I mean, like, insane, right? Well, but don't you think that— And Donald Trump, the same thing. You've got this mad hatter running around the White House and all these staffers just trying to prevent him from doing any more damage than he can. Now, contrary to what the president said yesterday, his poll numbers aren't going through the roof unless it's a very low, 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 small (laughs) house. right. But um, there's a significant percentage of the American people that still still support him. I know. In spite of this— I know. It's frightening. 
And but, and that to me that's that's the more frightening part. Yeah, but uh, and you know what, they're not going to change. So all this effort to get the Trump voters and no, they're not going to change. They no, will no. go with him right down on the, on the sinking ship. But you don't need the Trump voters. What you do need no. is uh, right. the independents, uh, the people who are marginal Trump voters. But the, the true believers are not going to constrain true believers. Are whatever the thirty-five percent, whatever they are. But you know, six. When the Washington Post poll this week showed 60% of the American people said they disapprove of his presidency. Yeah. I mean, that's stunning, 18 months in. I want So he's uh, busy tweeting again this morning, but I want to ask you about one because he makes this claim all the time. Here he is, Donald Trump, come on. I just, the deep state and the left and their vehicle, the fake news media, da, 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 are going crazy and they don't know what to do. The economy is booming like never before Jobs are at historic highs. Now, whatever you think of them. Okay, a couple of things about that. First of all, yes. Is that true? Economic growth in the last quarter was 4.2%. That's good. That's very good. Yeah. But it's not unprecedented. And when he said like never before, that's completely not true. Obama had four quarters of of growth that were higher than that. Hmm. Now, he was coming out of a recession. But but still, um, let's not, you know, economic growth is good. Yes, that's incontrovertible. Okay. All right. Unprecedented, not true. Okay. And if we've had 10 years now of a a growing economy, right? It's Mm -hmm. also true. Eight of those were under Barack Obama. Right. Uh, Absolutely. But what the president doesn't say, of course, and this is my budget side coming out, is that it's it's come at an enormous cost to the country. If a Democrat did this with the increases in the deficit and the debt that that, uh, Trump has pushed forward in just the year and a half he's been in office— There'd be massive uh, uprisings on the Republican side. I mean, we're talking about a permanent, let me state that again, permanent trillion-dollar deficit that if there's an economic downturn could easily be $2 trillion. We're talking about an increase in the debt during the Trump administration, however long it is, Trump, Pence, or whatever, that will not just rival but will exceed what happened during all of the previous administrations. Um, mm-hmm. And and um, you know and and they, they they talk about it as if it was nothing, or they don't talk about it at all. Remember, this is the president said he was going to pay off the national debt in eight years. This is the president said he could cut taxes, increase spending on defense, and balance the budget. Not going to happen. I mean, we, we these are. Or he hasn't even tried. No, no, just the opposite. He's gone yeah. in the opposite direction, and he's going to leave it for the next president <laughs> or a Democratic Congress to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that extra debt. Uh, is as a result of the tax cut bill. Oh, not a lot of it, most of it. Mm-hmm. Now, there was some additional spending for defense, a uh, substantial amount for defense. There was some on the domestic side that's gotten Republicans upset, uh, but there's no one proposing major changes. Remember all the talk the Republicans used to have about balancing the budget in 10 yeah. years? Not happening. They don't talk about it anymore. So how about the other part of the statement where he says uh, unemployment is uh, at an all-time low and jobs all-time high? Well, not Well, not all-time low. But, but it, it's low. I mean, it's it's. What, I don't remember being under five percent for a long time. Well, it, sure. it it did get there under Clinton. I think it was three point seven percent, Bill Clinton. Okay. Uh, if you remember, we had trouble filling jobs, and that uh, the people who were taking jobs, like at fast food restaurants, didn't know how to use the register because they weren't that well educated. So they had to change the register so that there were pictures of Big <laughs> Macs, as opposed to dollar amounts, uh, those types of things. And that happens. That is that that you've got uh, when, when you when your unemployment gets this low. You should have wages rising, which we don't really have to the extent that we would expect under these circumstances. So, yes, wage unemployment is good, but it's uh, the average person isn't benefiting tremendously by it. So there's a soft underbelly to this, 
to the job increase, right, is that wages have not gone up. Wages haven't gone up, and for a lot of people, they're still having trouble finding jobs because people, the companies just don't want to hire anybody or provide the training or provide the benefits. Um, and so it's one of the reasons the uh, the tax bill is not very popular because the average person isn't benefiting. Yeah, yeah. You know, this reminds me a lot. George W. Bush used to get up and, and extol uh, the time a declining economy by giving statistics. Statistics don't match the the emotional uh, thing of not being able to meet your bills every month mm-hmm. or not being able yeah. to afford your dreams, right? even if they're modest dreams. Um, so the president, however, does say, well, uh, everything's going Great, 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 great. Game. But then he says, yeah, but we're broke, just about broke. We can't afford to give federal employees a pay increase, so we're going to have a freeze on salaries for federal employees. Well, federal civilian employees. But, yeah, military okay. gets its amount. Milita- oh, thank you. Right. Uh, and then he sort of changes his mind while I'm considering. I mean, where is it today, and what's the, what's the reality? Of it? All right. This is, this is going to be one of the things that determines whether there's going to be a government shutdown in three weeks. Mm. Oh, okay. Right. So, the, so, the, the pre- so the president proposes a freeze on federal civilian pay. The Senate has rejected that, um, and now they have to go to conference with the House to decide whether or not there's still going to be a almost 2%, 1.9% pay raise for federal civilian employees. Interesting question. Suppose it's almost certain that the House will go along with the Senate and mandate that there, there be this pay raise. The House will go along with the one point nine. Well, think about this. You've got the House is very much in play. There's there talk about a Democratic wave, and the President's pay raise proposal, pay freeze proposal, has put a variety of Republicans with heavy concentrations of, of uh, federal civilian employees. Mm-hmm. In jeopardy, like Northern Virginia, or like where I live in Northern Virginia, Barbara yeah. Comstock, a uh, sure. two-term Republican, immediately put out a statement—a weak statement—but immediately put out a statement that said, "I'm against this. Hmm. Damage is already done." I mean, this is a president of her party, and she couldn't stop it. Uh, Dave Bratt, a variety of other people, even Corey Stewart, the uh, the right-wing, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Republican candidate against Tim Kaine, had put out statements about it. It's too late. But the question in my mind is. If Congress mandates this in a continuing resolution to keep the government open, will the president sign it? And his, his whole thing about, I'm going to study the issue over the weekend. Right? First of all, let's remember this is a president who doesn't read. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. He admits go- he doesn't read. I'm going to study it on the golf course. Right. right. Well, you know, I mean, if you, if you can get the numbers right on your scorecard, you may be able to figure out the <laughs> pay um, but, uh, but But – in the meantime, the, he said he was going to study it over the weekend. That weekend is over. So clearly his response, I'm going to restudy it and think about it, was just because a variety of Republican members of the House were saying, are you crazy? What are you going to yeah. do? Look at what yeah. you're doing to us. You could put five more, six more Republican seats in jeopardy mm-hmm. or more jeopardy. So in the end, you believe Trump will just drop that proposal? Uh, yeah, I, I do. The bigger question is whether he will demand something for uh, the wall. Uh, I was just going to say, that doesn't mean – that there won't be a shutdown. That's just maybe one obstacle out of the way. But then you come back to, and I think the Times has a story this morning about uh, Richard Shelby, he's head of the banking committee. No, no, appropriations Appropriations, right. That he's got to be the one to tell Trump, you're not going to get the money for the wall. Again, tell Uh, Trump. And Trump keeps saying, I signed that bill once, but I'm never going to do it again. Well, and, and Reuters reported yesterday that Trump had backed off on his threat about shutting down the government over the wall, and then a couple hours later, he renewed his threat. Um, no, I saw that. It, yeah. has, it has very little to do with the wall and most to do with energizing the Republican base and Trump supporters. The wall is, 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 is really not the issue. The issue is immigration and, and bad hombres in Trump's terms. So 
if he gets out there and shuts down the government over the wall, he's going to say, we're going to keep these folks out no matter what. And I'm, I'm willing to go to the mat or go to the wall in this case to prevent it from happening. And, and that, that the whole idea would be to energize the base to divert attention away from Mueller or Cohn or Manafort or Roger Stone or, 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 or you know, anything else. Yeah. You know, an anonymous op-ed. Right. So it's, it's I'm, I'm telling, I've been telling my readers for a couple of months, I think there's a 66, 0% chance of a shutdown. And it's all because of Trump. The Republican leaders don't want it. Republicans want to go home and hold fundraisers and campaign, uh, especially with the House yeah, up, up for, yeah. you know, really. Uh, up no, nobody would be talking about a government shutdown if it weren't for, we would not be talking about it if it weren't for Donald Trump, right? I mean, this no, is no, the no, last. No, this is, this is, if this, if this, if this shutdown happens, it'll happen because of Trump. And the last thing Republicans want is any talk of a shutdown at all. Right. Correct? Which is why you hear, uh, you had Paul, Paul Ryan yesterday, Speaker Paul Ryan. Mm-hmm respond to the president's new statement saying, well, maybe I will shut down the government after all if I don't get my money. His response was the president should know better than that. <laughs> uh, but I, I did a piece yesterday on the blog that basically mm-hmm. said, you can't believe anything Trump says because he changes his mind so often. And that was verified actually in the op-ed yesterday. Right. Uh, when Stan talks about um, saying this to his uh, readers, uh, you should be one of them, at thebudgetguy.blog Bless or you. on Twitter at the budget guy. Bless you. At the budget guy. Okay. <laughs> All right. So tell me this. Um, I trust you on economic matters. Are tariffs good or bad? For whom? <laughs> <laughs> well, for average Americans. Yeah, no, they're, they're for not consumers. Good. They're, they're definitely not good for consumers. It means that there's a, at least certainly in the short term. Short term could be five years, but but certainly while they're in place, it means higher prices for for U.S. consumers. It means everything from washing machines to Nike shoes are going to be more expensive. Uh, simply because they're made overseas and they're putting tariffs on 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 some of the raw materials, um, it it could mean that uh, foreign cars, which are very popular with yeah. Americans, are more expensive. Um, and, it, and the president keeps saying, "Look, just give it a chance." Wilbur Ross keeps saying, "We need these for for negotiation purposes." But in the meantime, the price is being paid by consumers, or in the or in the in the in the case of the agriculture, soybeans, in the case of farmers. So that that's why the president suddenly got to unilaterally decide to spend twelve billion dollars to offset the the impact of uh, yeah. So first he creates the problem by costing them money, and then then he makes us as taxpayers shell out more money to make up for the money that he cost us, right? Right, and then he takes credit for helping farmers. It's not unlike what he was doing, what we were just talking about with the federal pay raise, uh, federal federal pay freeze. Excuse me. First, he puts a pay freeze in, and then he wants to. He's probably going to want to take, get credit for taking mm. it off. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So you create a problem, and then you take credit for solving it. But the the president does have the authority to unilaterally impose tariffs on any country, any products. There, there are some limits, and Congress could probably now remember which Congress we're talking about. But yeah, Congress right. could, if it wanted to, slap him back and say, "No, you can't do this." And he does it in the name of national security, right? Right. I mean, that's what he's doing. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, so, it's just like the op-ed yesterday. I need the name because uh, the name of the author, because for national security reasons, it's mm-hmm. treasonous otherwise. Right. I mean, that's that's the fallback. Yeah, and now it's hard. Uh, as we've talked about with the pay freeze and other stuff, it's hard to keep track of exactly where he is on the tariffs because he says we're going to have tariffs on this, and he says no, we're not, and it's going to be on everybody, and then certain people are accepted, and so. Uh, but right. He's de- he's definitely overall going down the tariffs road. Well, th- this is a president who likes to likes to uh, celebrate success before it happens. He will make he will announce that he's thinking about doing something and then take credit for having it having it done, even though it hasn't been done yet. And that's true with many of the tariffs that mm-hmm. he's thinking about it. It's negotiating position to a certain extent. Let's give him 
some credit for that. But uh, more and more, the, the administration keeps saying it's thinking about more tariffs rather than less. And it, it, it's, it's going to drag down the economy. It's one of the things that's got Wall Street and corporate CEOs worried. How bad has NAFTA been for American workers? Uh, I'm not sure I can give you a quantification of it, but it obviously has cost some jobs. Uh, where workers in Mexico and Canada are paid less than American workers. Is it so bad that it should be trashed? Changed, yes. Changed. You know, yeah. it should evolve. Right? I guess like any trade deal should evolve. Yeah, I mean, the economy changes on an hourly basis. So can he change it and trash it or ch- trash it or change it without Canada? Um, can, yes. Will, not clear. Uh, you've already got the AFL-CIO mm-hmm. saying if Canada's not involved, we're not interested and we're going to oppose it. Uh, and that's that's even these days that AFL-CIO is a very powerful organization yeah. with a lot of support. And don't forget, a lot of Trump members were, were union members as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, it's the, the, the larger question, Bill, is can he do it without congressional support? That is, can, can, and, and the, I'm not I think he's got some unilateral capabilities on this. But again, Congress, if it wants to, can insert it, insert itself into the process. And it just so ha- so out. So far, hasn't shown any indication of doing I, that. I, I know the original NAFTA had to be approved by Congress. It was a treaty. I, it was a treaty. It was a treaty. Yeah, so right. it, it has to be approved so by the you, Senate. So he cannot change a treaty approved by Congress unilaterally, right? Well, I think he's got some ability to, to do it, to eliminate it or, or to retreat from it. But the big thing about most of these things is you say he can't. They're, they're not self-enforcing. That is, someone's got to ma- raise, yeah, raise an issue. Right. And this is a Republican Congress showing no interest in taking him on. Now, um, boy, a short on time, but I do have to ask you about this. So Senator Bernie Sanders yesterday introduced an act he calls the Stop Bezos Act. Um, Bezos is an acronym for Stop Bezos, Bad Employees from Zeroing Out Subsidies Act. And it says that if you have over 500 employees like Jeff Bezos at Amazon and you're not paying them enough so that they, have, they need food stamps or Medicaid, or housing subsidies that that employer, Amazon or whoever it is, has to reimburse the government 100% for the cost to government for their for their subsidies to their employees. Well, it's very Bernie. Uh, <laughs> it is it, that. It's not going to happen. And you know who else it would apply to? The United States government, because when it, it doesn't pay its military employees enough, Bingo. To, a lot right. of them are on food stamps or, or they've got to take second jobs and those types of things. So it's an interesting concept. It's more a discussion piece. And it is serious legislation, but it has it has a. I, I agree with you in, ter- in in terms of the likelihood that Congress would ever pass it, but it has its merits. I mean, why should we be subsidizing Amazon? Why well, shouldn't they be paying their people a living wage? Right. Um, it depends what you mean by living wage. If you're if you're an well, Amazonian, more than fifteen bucks an hour. If you're an Amazonian living in Seattle, the minimum wages, you know, living wages is going to be pretty difficult yeah, uh, and pretty high. Um, I, I've got some mixed feelings about it. You, you're right in theory. That is, we should be paying people enough to live normally or live not not wealthily or spectacularly, no, no, but just comfortably. Just be able to, yeah. Not to need food stamps, let's say. That's, 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 set that, that's, that's setting the bar pretty low, right? Right. But on the other hand, you, you were talking about massive regulation at the federal level. Uh, the government level, and I'm not sure I'm willing to go there yet. Well, when you have, uh, now I'm getting on my soapbox, but when Amazon is just a, now, <laughs> <laughs> you sort of live up there. <laughs> uh, when Amazon's a trillion dollar company now, like Apple, right? Mm-hmm. A trillion dollar company. Damn it, we taxpayers should not be subsidizing Amazon. 
They should be paying their employees so that we don't have to subsidize their employees and give them food stamps or Medicaid or housing benefits or whatever. Well, I mean, hello. But, all right, okay. but 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 just just to go back to some business school yeah, theory. You know what? We can't do that because we're out of time. Damn. And I want time to be able to plug again thebudgetguy.blog and on Twitter at thebudgetguide. That's how you keep up with Stan Connor. Thank you, Stan. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. Thanks for Eugene Scott joins us next from the Washington Post. Coming up. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Treason. That's what we call it. You criticize me. I'm the president of the United States. You are guilty of treason. Yeah, but the question is, who wrote it? Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we go. It's a Thursday, Thursday, September 6th. The Bill Press Show coming your way from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day, and there is lots of it. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh ducking any serious questions yesterday, pretty successfully ducking any serious questions uh, yesterday, even contradicting himself, contradicting himself on occasion. I'm not sure Democrats were able to lay a glove on him, uh, but the hearing went into the night and continues today. I think they're going to try to wrap it up today. Meanwhile, the White House, already suffering from a body blow of the Bob Woodward book, uh, now is uh, suffering from an additional body blow from an an anonymous, yes, anonymous op-ed in the New York Times this morning, which is a blistering indictment painting a White House in total disarray and a totally clueless president. Uh, Eugene Scott from the Washington Post has been up all night reporting on this story, uh, but he's still has crawled in here to join us this morning as a friend of Bill. Hello, Eugene. Hello, how are you? I've never seen anything like this, huh? Oh, man. I uh, I was I was on MSNBC at like 5 a.m. this morning and just talking to my team. I'm sorry we missed you. God, I just... <laughs> no, I hope you were asleep. I hope you were asleep. My, my mom missed me, too. I'm like, Mom, get get rest. Uh, they'll, by, by 10 a.m., whatever I say will be old news anyway. Do you know what? That's right. That's yeah. a, that's yeah. the way this news cycle works these yeah. days, right? Yeah, so. very much so. Right. Yeah. So no, the hearings were fascinating. Right. I'm probably yeah. going to write a bit about them soon. All right. Great to great to see you. Great to catch up with you. And we have a lot to catch up on. And uh, we want your comments too on Twitter. This is a day when you want to sound off on Twitter at BP Show. But first. <laughs> is the full computer here. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. We go to Scotland. In fact, we go to Donald Trump's golf course oh, in oh, Scotland yeah. at Turnbury. Where there is was Rudy a- there? He was there last time I checked. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if Rudy's still there, but that might explain this story Uh-oh. because a golf fan was out there playing golf at Trump's golf club, and his niece 
was there with him, and they looked up in the sky, and lo and behold, there were four strange disc-shaped objects, UFOs over Trump's golf course in Scotland. Are they drones? Well, they took a picture of them, and they actually, uh, the Daily Mail has the photos up. They're not drones. They they, they just look like little flat disc shapes of uh, light up in the sky. Day or night. During the day, although it's Scotland, so it's all very overcast up against very cloudy skies. And you can see very clearly four disc-shaped objects of light floating above the golf course. Nobody is going to do any investigation of this, but it is just sort of odd because they did get the picture of it. So uh, weird. That could explain a lot of the behavior out of uh, <laughs> the Donald Trump, uh, Donald Trump and his family. By the way, yesterday I told you about how beneficial sleep is for mm-hmm. your heart and for your mental health. Well, here is another study. This time it comes from Rutgers. College students who do not get enough sleep have watched their GPA plummet. They say that a lack of sleep can have a direct negative impact on your GPA if you are a student. Now, this is something that a lot of college students are familiar with, the legendary all-nighter to try and study more. But they're saying that could actually, in the long run, do more damage to your GPA than to actually help it. Yeah, but college administrators or teachers, they've been saying that forever. I I know. Students just ignore it. I did. This is a study from Rutgers pointing that there were students that... Uh, were deprived of sleep, and students that got the full six to eight hours, and the ones that got more sleep did much, much better. So just just putting it out there. Get a little sleep. Go to bed a little early tonight if you can. One final story, by the way. Hurricane Florence strengthens on a pa- on a possible path to Bermuda. We just finished with Hurricane or Tropical Storm yeah. Gordon. Now it's Hurricane Florence. Uh, that has strengthened. We will obviously keep an so eye on this is on a that. full-fledged... This hurricane. is a full-fledged hurricane. Yeah, this is the first major storm of the season. I don't know. They're coming fast and furious, man. Live video. Bill's commentary. The best clips from the show. All in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. The resistance has moved from outside the White House to inside the White House. Or now maybe we should just say now there's uh, there are two branches of the resistance, the outside and the inside. The inside making its mark today with a scathing op-ed in the New York Times unsigned by a senior administration official, we are told. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show. We are live from our nation's capital, our studio here on Capitol Hill, and reaching out to you uh, worldwide, nationwide, worldwide, online, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Joining you on television on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and also, of course, out in the greater Chicago area, on the great WCPT. Chicago still reeling from the fact that... Uh, Mayor Rahm Emanuel says, I've had it. I'm not going to seek a third term. Uh, Monday, we will be hosting Lori Lightfoot here in studio, who is running for mayor. Uh, Whether Rahm Emanuel runs or not, she is going, former head of the police commission there, police review board. In studio with us, our good friend Eugene Scott from the Washington Post, uh, up early this morning, already on MSNBC before he got here. Yeah. uh, now he's here for us for a friend as a friend of Bill and 
God knows where you go next, you know. Yeah, I'm going to the office to write a bit. And, oh, uh, no. Yeah. You know, at some point, <laughs> i got to keep my day job. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, have you ever, ever, ever seen anything like this? Not, not. The headline on the op-ed is The Quiet Resistance Inside mm-hmm. the Administration. So uh, did the New York Times do the right thing by publishing an anonymous op-ed? That seems to be one of the big questions right now. I think um, this op-ed doesn't give those of us who have been following close attention to the Trump administration and the chaos inside the White House that much more information. So that's why I hesitated a bit when you said, had I seen anything like this before? In the the form of an op-ed in the New York Times at this length, no. But those by of us an anonymous by I, an anonymous I must admit, senior I never official. remember no. an anonymous op-ed. No. no. Sort of, it contradicts what op-eds are all about. Right. No, we have not seen anything like this. Have those of us who've been paying close attention uh, had heard reports some firsthand from people in the White House and in the administration that it was chaotic and they therefore thought they were doing the Lord's work by staying inside. Yeah, that's not new. That's been happening, um, quite frankly, since the campaign. Um, but to this degree, uh, we've never seen anything like that. Whether or not um, the Times should have uh, published it, I, I, you know, I'm still processing it like many people. It's not even been 24 hours since it's gone public, and I'm paying attention to a lot of the pros and cons of it. One interesting um, idea against publishing it is that it appears to uh, give the Trump White House more material to say that it's fake news or to dismiss it and to act like it's a personal vendetta against them from the New York Times. But if you pay attention to a lot of the responses from Trump, from Sarah Huckabee Sanders, from other officials, they're not dismissing it as hard as you would think. I think they believe and are aware that someone actually did do this. Uh, The idea that the New York Times completely made this up is just rubbish. No. Um, But, uh, yeah, I just don't know that the person who thinks that they're— Actions were as noble as they are. Um, it's being met with that same idea. And there's some, you know, question about whether so senior administration official. Mm-hmm. Well, is that someone who works in the West Wing, who works mm-hmm. in the White House, or mm-hmm. could it be somebody who works out in the agencies? Right. I think it, it was seems the, to me it, it from reading it several mm-hmm. times over uh, that it's someone inside the White House. Yeah. But, I think I think so too, and I think uh, they could have said a senior uh, White House official, but that would have narrowed things too yeah, far. Right. Um, and I mean, the Times knows that the White House immediately was in chaos trying to figure out uh, oh, who the person oh, was. Yeah, and so you know, being as vague as possible while being as uh, complete as possible was, I think, what the challenge was. Well, you know, there's uh, a witch hunt. Yeah. Yeah. On right now. Oh, yeah. In the White House overnight. They are. And, and but they've got been, their list. But it has been for a while, which is the point. I mean, leaking has been a huge problem oh, um, yeah. since since yeah. day one. Uh, one of I mean, <laughs> you and I have talked about that more leaks have, out of this White House than any other White House. And, and and often by some of the people protesting leaking the most. And so one thing I've been paying attention to, the people who uh, push back on this op ed the, the most strongly or regularly I, I can't help but wonder if they were the individuals who wrote it. Yeah. Now, um, one person. <laughs> so, 
So CNN this morning had a list of 13 people who they think may have been the author. We don't know whether it's a man or a woman, right? Sure. So it's all this whole thing. Sure. But one thing is very interesting. So there's a word in here that pops up, uh, and it's a sort of an unusual word. Hmm. And the word is lodestar. Hmm. Uh, now, who uses the word? Is that a word that you use a lot? No, um, but doesn't Pence use that a bit? Well, let's see. Here's a little a montage. A montage. Mike Pence. Oh, wow. Teeter. used to be the lodestar uh, for those of us. Speaker, uh, that the lodestar of the rulemaking process is that... And so vigilance and resolve will be our lodestar. And that's going to continue to be a lodestar. Jack's lodestar as our lodestar. Lodestar. It really was the lodestar. So that's like eight different times. It goes all the way back to like, I think 2005 was the first instance that he used it. But he's used it 2005. One of the clips was 2008. One was from 2017, 2018. He's used it this year. So eight different times that people have found on video that Mike Pence has used the word lodestar. Mm-hmm. So, so, so here's the thing. So, obviously, I mean, people are going to su- suspect that it's Pence, but a lot of the times when Pence speaks publicly, he's reading a speech that he did not write. Yeah. So his speechwriter could be a senior official. Well, for the last 13 years, the same right. speechwriter. Right. Yeah, well, right. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. yeah, no, it's it's okay. really interesting. Um. So, and and also until this morning, um, Mike Pence had not been heard from. In response to the Woodward book or the New York Mm -hmm. op-ed. And this morning, we haven't seen it yet, but apparently he put out a statement saying, um, I I do not write op-eds anonymously. I sign my op-eds. Yeah. Which is not exactly a denial. (laughs) And it's also, it also, quite frankly, could be a lie. Of course. Yeah. And so, I mean, the number of people coming out saying it's just like all of the people protesting Bob Woodward's reporting saying I didn't say that. Um, That doesn't mean you didn't. I mean, this is a White House led by a political figure who's uh, breaking records in terms of lying. No, I did not. It's not a believable offense at this point. Defense. So to your point that really those of us who are around the White House, um, this is kind of like nothing new. Yeah, what's yeah. new is it's an it's, anonymous. It's presentation, though, is pretty significant. R- right. What? But so we had uh, the Michael Wolf book. We did. We had the Omarosa book. Same mm-hmm. unhinged. Same thing. Then we got the Woodward book. We have the New York Times op-ed. My new book comes out next week. Trump must, must go. go. Top one hundred reasons to dump Trump. Did you have a hard time finding 100 reasons? Are you kidding? I had a hard <laughs> narrowing time it down. narrowing <laughs> it down. Right. And by the way, we're going to have a website when the book comes out where people can add their own reasons okay. because the book's already obsolete. Yeah. Right? Has yeah. Not yet already obsolete. Yeah. There yeah. are 100 reasons this week. Yeah. This week. Trump must yeah. go. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, but my point is every one of these books, including mine, all come to the same conclusion. Right. Right. About a White House in meltdown. Right. And a president basically over his head, to be yeah. polite, right? Uh, so there's got to be a kernel of truth here, Eugene. And I and I think that's why, uh, I mean, in some of the pushback, you certainly hear White House officials like Trump and Sanders saying that things are running smoothly, but no, no, no one really believes that, including people in the White House, and people have come out. I mean, we've seen surrogates say, look, we do know that things are rough and chaotic, um, in part because of the leadership of the person at the top. 
there seems to be much more frustration that there's an absence of loyalty uh, to keeping things tight-lipped. The one, the, th- the, the overall thread that I find most troubling is that, it, it, and we hear it in the Woodward book and we see it in, hear it in this op-ed, is that Donald Trump could have done and would have done a lot more damage if it weren't for people around him who prevent his from do- him, whose mission is to mm-hmm. prevent him from mm-hmm. doing so. And to, as, as the op-ed says, to contain the damage inside the West Wing mm-hmm. if they can. You know, where Woodward talks about um, Gary Cohn stealing documents right. from the president's desk so he could never sign them. Right. Yeah. I think that's going to be a main talking point on pe- from people but that's, uh, on the that's right. That's frightening. And that they are, they say, saving us from yeah, this from president. what could even be worse. And, yeah. and But they're not being met with the pats on the back that they would like. If you remember when Paul Ryan uh, did a, a big exit interview, I believe, with the New York Times, you're saying things could have been worse. I, I kept Congress from going even more off the rails. Uh, yeah. and, that's, and that's scary to people who are wondering what's worse than babies being locked in cages. Um, what's, being, what's worse than a travel ban based on uh, faith? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's worse than calling you know, <laughs> Americans protesting uh, sons of bees, uh, and 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 that's concerning. Um, if if it reminds me also of how people were saying Hope Hicks was controlling Trump's tweets from being worse, um, from attacking your attorney general. Like, what is worse? If if what you know uh, it, him to truly be, what what you know him to want to truly do, is much worse than what's happening. His critics are saying. Uh, that you should be ringing the alarm much more loudly and and arguing for his removal uh, from the White House. Uh, and by the way, yesterday was such a chaotic day at the White House. Cameron Joseph was uh, uh, head of on pool duty rather uh, yesterday at the White House um, <laughs> with <laughs> incredible uh, appearances by Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, Cameron Joseph is going to be joining Eugene Scott and me and all of you uh, in just a few minutes here. Um, for the second half of this hour, senior political correspondent for Talking Points Memo. And we'll find out more about this, uh, how it went down yesterday at the White House. But other things I wanted to ask you about. By the way, you mentioned um, Donald Trump calling them. Uh, I'll say it, the, the players who took a knee as sons of bitches. Get that son of a bitch I didn't off know what field. we could say here, but we're good now. There are certain limits, but that one's yeah. okay. Yeah, all right. But today is the opening day of the NFL season, yeah. fall season. Yeah. The Eagles versus the Falcons up I at forgot um, about Philadelphia. Yeah, How about right. that? Which raises a question about uh, Donald Trump attacking the NFL sure. again yesterday right. because of what Nike did with Colin mm-hmm. Kaepernick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good, Peter. You're the sports guy. Yeah, this Kaepernick story uh, is pretty is, smart on their part. It seems to me. Well, yeah, I mean, look, it, got a lot of publicity. It could have absolutely <laughs> backfired on them, and it still could. Right? Mm-hmm. We'll see because uh, there have been. A, a, a lot of people who are going on social media, burning their Nikes and oh, yeah. cutting the swoosh out of yeah. their clothing. And yeah, all that. and they'll buy another pair tomorrow. They'll buy another pair tomorrow. <laughs> exactly what it comes down to. But, like, look, they really put their th- – this is something that we've seen for a while now. A, a lot of businesses are putting their money in the anti-Trump uh, um, movement, right? Like Colin Kaepernick, I think you could say pretty squarely, is an anti-Trump force. The fact that they chose him – to be the face of their 30th anniversary campaign mm-hmm. for the it, Just it, Do It is it, amazing. It is. It's remarkable. And now you've got LeBron James yesterday mm-hmm. came out. He said he stands with Colin Kaepernick. Serena the, Williams. Serena Williams. Out. There are a lot yeah. of other athletes in the ad that Colin Kaepernick narrates. Mm-hmm. 
which is a really powerful ad, by the way, mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think one of the things that's fascinating to uh, the critics of Nike right now is that uh, Nike is a very smart uh, organization that has been in this business for a while, a leader in the industry. And so if you think they didn't run the numbers to see how oh, this would, yeah, would yeah, work yeah. out, I, I'm not suggesting that there's no one at the top of Nike with deeply held convictions that police brutality and racism are wrong. But if they, they knew that the backfiring would not outweigh the support. Um, and that's why they decided to do this. And to be fair, they've been endorsing Colin Kaepernick since 2011. They've had a long relationship with him. And, uh, you know, that was, by the way, one of the sort of underreported stories. Absolutely. Of all of this, is that mm-hmm. this whole time. I mean, he hasn't played in the NFL for a couple yeah. of years now. Yeah. And Nike still was uh, had him as one of their uh, as one of his sponsors. And, and understandably so. I mean, in the last year, his jersey, which he hasn't worn yeah. in more than a year, is still one of like the top five. That's that amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and Nike desires to be a cultural influence um, and and have impact in spaces beyond sports. I mean, there are people who never watched football who know who Colin Kaepernick is, yeah, right, yeah. and are yeah. paying attention. And so, uh, you know, and I think consumers, especially when you look at millennial voters, millennial shoppers, are really interested in the values of some of the organizations in which uh, businesses in which they patronize. And so um, it's really sad that coming out against racism in 2018 is a controversial position yeah. that yeah, causes right. people to cut their socks. I know. Well, uh, again... Thanks to Donald Trump. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I think we've had polling saying that, you know, Trump has been the most racially divisive president in the last like 30 to 40 years. Um, And I think the marketplace is responding to that. My favorite comment on Twitter, by the way, is from our buddy Van Newkirk. Uh, yes. Who said that, Love man. Lo- Love. you know, these people that are cutting their Nike swoosh off of the top of their socks, loose socks are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> you got to really, really, really hate oh black people to walk around with loose socks. No, it's, yeah. it, it was yeah. really terrible. It was it was so frustrating. I mean, uh, that that the first tweet about that that went out by, um, I believe, John Rich, who won Celebrity yeah, Apprentice. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the replies to the tweet are hilarious. So funny. They were like, because yeah. the cutting was so ragged yeah. they were like does he not know how to cut <laughs> it, was so, <laughs> it was sad yeah but yeah we'll see what happens going forward oh oh i did oh. want to say this one point related to it that i feel like a lot of people missed in one of trump's first interviews in response to that he said nike is a tenant of his that pays oh. rent on time or something like that which imply that at the end of the day what he, mattered most to trump was, was the ma- money yeah he was making money off he's making yeah. money oh yeah totally um, yeah which yeah. shouldn't be breaking news but yeah <laughs> now Ayanna Presley, mm-hmm. how about it? That was pretty amazing. I, I, I um, at this point, I don't know that I was shocked, but it's still always people uh, saw this coming. Even yeah. Capuano saw this coming, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's always a surprise, and I mean, it was it was a, it's this so, is a what's going on? And I'm like trying a, to speak, and not know, she she does does a, but she doesn't stand alone. She right? doesn't. She doesn't. I mean, we have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I mean, I think one thing, that, a story that a lot of people aren't talking about um, is the blue wave just isn't against, you know, conservatives. There's a bit of a blue wave within the Democratic Party. Yes. Um, and there's a and the wave. <laughs> I, I think I think the most cynical and most nervous are saying there's this movement to uh, get rid of all people who are older and whiter and male. And that's not what's actually happening. I think the left just wants to see their representation look more like the left. 
And so there's obviously room for people who are older and white and male. There just has to be more room for people who are younger, Latina and queer and female. I think that's what you're seeing the Democratic uh, Bates look like. They're still going to be the Blumenthal's, but they want, they, they want some Ayanas as well. And I think that's what uh, we're seeing. But it's very exciting. And when you look at uh, 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 Ayanna Presley, uh, you mentioned Alexandria uh, or Ocasio Cortez, Andrew right? Gillum, Andrew Gillum in Florida, Stacey, Stacey Abrams, Abrams yeah. exactly, yeah, Ben Jealous in Maryland. Yeah, let's yeah. not forget, you know, Deb Holland, who will be the first uh, Native American. Yeah, uh, and th so the Democratic Party, the, these candidates, a lot of them women, mm -hmm, people mm -hmm, of color, mm -hmm. right, younger, mm -hmm. progressive, right. more progressive. I mean. Yeah, uh, it's it's you're right. The blue wave is sort of sweeping the Democratic Party, which and is very exciting. It is. And I wonder if the leadership will reflect that. Right. I mean, uh, Nancy Pelosi, who has been the most powerful Democrat for a while uh, and to many people in the party has done a phenomenal job. Uh, it's it's significantly older than the median age of Democrats. I believe she's 78. And I, there's been a call for a while from some Democrats, even within, on Capitol Hill, but certainly among the base, to, to make more room for younger Democrats to be in positions of power. Um, and uh, it, I, I think uh, you're going to see an increase in that as we get more Andrews and Ayanas. Particularly a, a, a pressure, and there's so much speculation about what happens, but I mean, I believe if Democrats take back the House, thanks in large part to Nancy Pelosi's leadership fundraising, right. political skills, she'll be the speaker. But mm -hmm. then should James Clyburn and Steny Hoyer right. still be the other two members of the Troika who, right. are, basic, who are the same age, right? Yeah. Or is there, is there not going to be any room for anybody right. to, 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 to move up? So that's got to be reflected. But in the meantime, I think the next, well, I do. Now, the next big test is going to be in my home state of Delaware. Yeah. Where Senator Tom Carper, okay. uh, I forget how many terms now, but mm. former governor, mm -hmm. great guy. But it's, it's sort of like Capuano was a great guy. Joe Crowley yeah. was a great guy. Yep. But, you know, it was yep. just people said, oh, okay, yep. thanks for a good job, but now yeah. we're ready for somebody new. Yeah, And, and I, that's what some people in Delaware are saying, a young woman, Kelly Harris. She's a military veteran as well. Mm -hmm. She's a pilot, I believe. Mm -hmm. and, and she's um, um, mixed race. Right. Lesbian. Yeah. Young yeah. and a progressive. And, and looks a little more just like the electorate. And I, and I don't yeah. think people are saying there's no room uh, for the more senior, more traditional people at the table. They just want room for the queer people, the multicultural people, the working moms, uh, people from working class backgrounds right. to be involved in the policy making decisions. And a lot of it is younger, well. younger, new blood, new faces, new ideas, I mean, yeah. new energy. Like, yeah. You know, Ayanna Presley said, you know, yeah, Capuano is good. He and I vote the same. Right. But I'll bring more energy to the table. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there, I mean, I think there's room. There's just room for multiple people at the table. And or, I think I think it's also putting the Republican Party in the position to explain why their leadership structure and representation looks so not diverse. Yeah. Um, yeah. And looks so different from the communities and the country in which uh, they say they want to lead. I mean, you see every single time there's a photo of a meeting at the White House yeah. or some well, interns. Donald Trump with the Republican white. leadership, all it's white men male sitting around and the table. Older. Right. And, and there's room for them at the table. The question becomes, is there room for people who don't look like them at the table? No, exactly. Presley's uh, uh, campaign or whatever I, I love, which is change can't wait. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's not saying these people at the top are bad? No. But we can't wait until they're tired yeah. and decide to move on to bring about change. Well, yeah. Change can't wait. Andrew Gillum. Yeah. The first day, the day after is when Ron DeSantis uses this monkey word. I noticed this. I heard this morning there's a woman in Orlando, Republican, the Republican head of the Orlando Republican Party uh, came out yesterday and said, Gillum is just running because he wants blacks, all blacks to be paid back for slavery. I mean, yeah. these people cannot help themselves. Not this to mention the, the ugly racist. Yeah. Florida doesn't have enough money to pay back every black person there for <laughs> slavery. Like, Andrew's not stupid. He knows that that is not even financially possible. But DeSantis, I wrote about well, DeSantis. It's hard to say that. I mean, that's yeah. the last thing that Andrew Gilman has talked about. Yeah, right? it's not even, and, it, and, and it's so unfortunate. There's so many thoughts here. So I think there are conservatives who are making this race about race. So the more they can remind people that Andrew is black, the more they can put him in a position to say, I'm not just black. And that takes up time from him being able to talk about the ways he would like to make Florida better for white working class people and, and seniors who are Latino and just all these other issues. It, it's But I mean, DeSantis has marketed himself as a little Trump. So this shouldn't be surprising. I wrote about his attacks on Andrew Gillum a month before I wrote about him calling. He was he was cr criticizing oh. Alexandria saying, oh, whatever she is, uh, just making d these jabs. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised because um, that's been effective for him. He he would not have gotten Trump's endorsement, Fox News's uh, exposure, had he not taken this approach. Um, and you would just think that a state uh, that is as diverse as Florida, um, conservatives would try to let people of color know that they can make Florida great for them as well. But it seems like that's not uh, the approach they're taking at all. Yeah. They, I don't, I'm sure you guys have heard the robocall yeah. Uh, yeah. that's out yeah. there. That yeah. is oh, yeah. one I mean, of the more racist things uh, I've ever heard in politics. Yeah. And DeSantis hasn't really condemned it, you know? Yeah. Like, it's it's yeah. out there. And you when you are when you are a candidate like him, you open the door to that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, first of all, let's, we know who opened the door. Sure, yes, the door yeah. was, right. yeah, was kicked wide, wide open. open. Yeah. Donald Trump opened the door. And Ron DeSantis is a total accolade of Donald Trump when it comes to yeah. racist statements himself. Yeah. And yeah. now he's in this position of all these other Republicans following Trump's lead and his lead are saying racist things. And he keeps saying, oh, they shouldn't say that. Oh, that's terrible for them to say that. And really, what he's saying is, bring it on, bring it on. You know? Yeah, on. I mean, yeah. like, yeah. Dog, dog whistling is dog. older than both of these candidates, and it's effective, and it's been effective in the South. And I think a lot of people are wondering, will it be effective in this race? What's been interesting, as you saw, the turnout for that primary was incredible. Incredible. I've got to ask you this, and then uh, we'll take a quick break and bring Cameron Joseph in, but is the FBI investigation a serious problem for Gillum? I, I don't think it's getting the amount of attention that uh, a FBI investigation uh, would normally get in, in a statewide race. And, and shall we maybe just interrupt just to make sure that all of our viewers and listeners understand there is an FBI investigation of alleged corruption inside the Tallahassee City Council, some members of the council taking bribes allegedly from developers in return for some votes. Gillum the mayor is not a right. target of the investigation, right. but he's mayor of a city where there is an F ongoing FBI sure. investigation. And the Republicans are trying to say, make a big deal of this, saying, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So he's boom, boom. not being investigated. I think it also puts the Republicans in that state in a tough position. The Republican Party right now is not in the best place to criticize 
organizations and leaders who are being investigated. Right. I'm glad to say, yes. we've been uh, told for so long yeah. that being under investigation by the FBI is not bad. In fact, it's very good. That's yeah. right. Yeah. We know somebody else who it's, is under investigation by the FBI and was when he was a candidate right. for president. Yeah. This is not a game you you want to yeah. play. Um, I mean, like I, DeSantis is, in, is endorsing and backing someone who's being investigated and will be for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. Cameron Joseph, as we said, just fresh from pool duty yesterday at on a r- wild day uh, at the White House for sure. Eugene Scott stays with us as a friend of Bill, and he and I will grill Cameron <laughs> Joseph uh, coming up. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we go now on this Thursday. It is Thursday, September 6, 2018. The Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital. With all the news of the day, uh, we're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard. Uh, Last time we saw Leo Girard was on uh, Labor Day. Uh, This Monday, he was jogging there with Joe Biden out in Pittsburgh at the big Labor Day march. Uh, And he, uh, leading up, of course, the United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Uh, thank you, Steelworkers. Thank you, Leo Gerard, for your support of the program. Eugene Scott here, Washington Post, on the job as a friend of Bill for this hour. And we are joined by, from TPM, Talking Points Memo, political reporter, covers the White House, Cameron Joseph. Hello, Cameron. Good to see you. Welcome. And Eugene, good to have you here, as always. Always. So, um, while we were enjoying... Eugene, yesterday uh, the uh, release of the New York Times op-ed from some distance, Cameron Joseph was on the front lines at the White House when it landed on the president's desk. That was a wild day. It yesterday. was crazy. I mean, like I've been there for some wild Trump days. I was there the, the day after he fired Mueller. I was there, or fired Comey rather. I was, I was there when Comey released his, his uh, uh, you know, le- leaked his information to the Times and the Post and watched the White House reaction then. I was there for the night of the shutdown. This is the craziest day I've spent at the White House. Hmm. Uh, and I mean, it, it's kind of hard to understate how nuts this is. A senior administration official writing an anonymous op-ed like this. Uh, and frankly, you know, the, the details of what's in there, none of that really surprised me, but it still shocked me, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. Like, like a, a lot of this... The point that Eugene made earlier, that just those of us who've covered the White House have been close to it. Yeah. We know this is... It is a White House in chaos, It's right? just out of control. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the president is out of control. Let's be specific about this, because I think, frankly, there's a lot of, you know, whatever you think of their politics or, or their motivations, like capable humans in the administration, uh, maybe less, you know, more, more so in the administration than the White House. But I think there's some plenty yeah. capable people in the White House. Mm-hmm. Kellyanne Conway is no dummy. She's good at her job. Uh, there's plenty, you know, John Kelly is not an idiot. Like these people can function if their boss is a capable person. And even if the boss was just basically an absentee boss. Uh, but Trump isn't. Trump has tantrums, which we've seen publicly. Trump rapidly changes his mind on crucial fundamental issues like we've seen publicly. A lot of these things we've seen publicly, it's it's still a shock to see a senior administration official, whoever they are, uh, go and and have a day like this. And, you know, being I mean, it had already been a crazy day. I'd already been through three pools, which is, you know, we go in a small group of reporters for a small meeting with, with President Trump. 
uh, where you know you usually they talk for a few minutes, we yell a question or two, they shuttle us out. Trump took a lot of questions yesterday. Mm -hmm. The reason he's taking a lot of questions yesterday was because of Bob Woodward's book right. that you know had already had you know, portions leaked, um, and he was you know full tilt trying to paint that as a work of fiction and highlighting the administration aides, including John Kelly, including General Mattis, uh, basically calling him a moron. Mm -hmm. And Kelly called him an idiot. Mattis said he was a fifth or sixth grader in terms of his level of understanding. Uh, highlighting the fact that they've denied that. Of course, they're going to deny that. Right. This is the second time Kelly has had to deny a report that he called yeah. the president an idiot. <laughs> and it won't uh, be the last time. Yeah. And uh, he's he, Kelly's not the most disciplined guy about keeping his mouth shut, from what I understand, from people who worked with him previously. Uh, but he, so we get through those, which are already crazy. Oh, and by the way, he Trump reversed himself about whether he's going to shut thinking shut about shutting down the government down, the government down. down right. down, yeah. Uh, yeah. Over, over getting money for his wall, which is, you know, in any normal presidency, the story of the week, if not the month. And this was not even the B story as today. <laughs> like this is, you know, barely worth mentioning. Uh, and as I'm coming out of the third pool, I get this text from my buddy Ben Jacobs over at the Guardian saying, mm -hmm. "You've seen this, right?" And I've been literally furiously typing up the president's quotes to make sure that all reporters can get these. Mm -hmm. uh, so I open this text and my mouth just hits the floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we're at that point about a half hour away from going back into the fourth event for Trump. Which was with the police officers. Which was with the sheriffs. Yeah, uh, right. And, and uh, that was a, a, a weird event that uh, didn't quite feel like a Western democracy event, but uh, it was it was an odd one. Uh, anyways, and we go in at 420. We figure he, he usually is either already there or within five minutes and he's not there. And he's not there. And he's still not there. 45 minutes pass. Whoa. So we you're, went in at 420. You're he standing didn't, in the East Room waiting for Trump. Just chilling. Yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of talking about whether... I heard that, Peter. Uh, <laughs> Talking That's about where Trump yeah, was. yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, I'm sure. Um, but so we're confused, yeah, because there's an open question at this point. Because the last time we saw the president, yeah. he was in a meeting with uh, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and, and House and Senate GOP leaders, who uh, he just reversed himself again, dropped this bombshell that maybe he'll shut the government down. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so we don't even know whether he's just in that meeting with them, pleading with him or trying to reason right. with him. Uh, when we've seen how successful that can be sometimes or he has gotten out of that meeting and has seen this and is throwing things <laughs> and it quickly becomes apparent that it's the latter uh he comes out he does his spiel with the sheriffs to talk about how great he is and uh as he's walking out we start yelling questions at him about this op-ed and he kind of right. originally kind of like you know puts his head you know hand to his ear and like acts like he doesn't hear and then you know peter alexander reads out the the headline and i think like a snippet of a quote to him and he stops and immediately launches into the fake new york yeah. times mm -hmm. and Here, the, let's hear failing so new the york video, yeah the video is, is uh, i've been there not as many times as you but it, you know in the east room we've all been there a lot right? yeah but this was such weird because there weren't chairs that the officers were standing around and he's standing like in the middle of the floor yeah. he just kind of wandered over yeah. to us yeah. yeah yeah and here yeah. he is saying this so bizarre gutless person he's ready so if the failing new york times has an anonymous editorial can you believe it anonymous meaning gutless, a gutless editorial. Uh, we're doing a great job. 
The poll numbers are through the roof. Our poll numbers are great. And guess what? Nobody is going to come close to beating me in 2020 because of what we've done. There you go. Yeah. And that, that was at the very end of, I, I think oh. it was about eight minutes of him just tirading. You know, he's a pretty angry guy a lot of times. I mean, whether or not he hides it well, it's up for debate. But, like, he takes a fairly angry tone sometimes. He sounds especially pissed. Oh, he was Oh yeah, he was pissed. I'm, I'm amazed at how much of a missed opportunity that was to even slightly pivot the conversation. It would not have been. I mean, he tried. It wouldn't have been hugely effective. But like, there were sheriffs in the white in the east ring, east room for a reason. Uh, he could have talked about that. It's kind of like he also has been credited in part for making all of these books bestsellers because he just mm-hmm. keeps talking about them. You can't let it go. You can't. Yeah, and I mean, like, frankly, if I were him, I'd be pissed too. Yeah, but. Uh, and we can talk about, you know, the motivations of, of this. Uh, you know, I think the one thing the White House and a lot of liberals can agree on today is they're calling the writer of this anonymous op-ed a coward. Uh, but it's fascinating to see just how mad he was. And he tried to pivot. He, like, went into it for about a minute. He was furious. And then clearly, like, his staff had prepared him with another story that had just come out extolling the wonders of the Trump administration. Right, right. And he spent about five minutes running through all the things that he shows make, you know, he's made America great again, and you know, economically and mm-hmm. taking apart Obamacare jobs and jobs, that, right. yeah, all that stuff. Um, but he, he couldn't help himself. He went yeah. back into it at the end. And it ends up and, pretty much affirming the piece because the heart of the piece is we're dealing with someone who lacks discipline and focus and the ability to carry out what could be in the best interest of the country. And like he can't even stay on topic when it comes time. When he's to, addressing that exact yeah. issue. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, we sometimes get desensitized to how crazy things are right now. Yeah. Um, and, and especially us in Washington who are just kind of dealing with it day in and day out. Uh, but this was a particularly weird one. And, you know, I, I, beginning of the Trump administration, I've been in the White House every day. I, when I was at the New York Daily News, that was a big part of my job. When it, since I've been at Talking Points, my mom probably there two, three times a month. And in some ways, that's actually been better because I get back and realize how nuts it is. Yeah. As opposed to just kind of being inundated with it. Like there's right. times where like right. we're in a pool yeah. and Trump says yeah. something and I'm like, you know, like, blown away and everyone else is just nonplussed because right. they feel even if he hasn't said that thing he said another thing kind of like it um so like i've been less desensitized going back recently but he, he didn't but he didn't let go of it i mean it didn't look like yeah. i woke up in the middle of the night last night i looked at my phone to see what time it was and here's a tweet from donald trump uh 11 last night mm-hmm. quote i'm draining the swamp and the swamp is trying to fight back don't worry, we will win. Yeah. Well, and that was my, my, my favorite Trump tweet and reaction to this. Because uh, well, clearly, like, he, he gave this angry response. He The White House put out a statement under Sarah Huckabee Sanders' name that read a lot like Trump. Uh, and then we waited about a half hour. And then my favorite of all of the day was just capital. Oh, yes. Treason? Treason. Treason? Treason. Yeah. So, um, and then he said, with a question mark, you know, yeah, he's he's right. leaving it open to debate. What you dare criticize the yeah. president of the United States? Yeah. Treason. I was going to say when I saw that, I, with all due respect, I wanted to say define it. Like Trump, do you know what treason is? Because this is not it. And he also, I mean, look, yeah. I think this confirms a lot of his own paranoid fears about the deep state and people within totally. his administration undercutting him. And yeah. It absolutely does. And frankly, I, I'm not sure this op-ed actually helps so much as makes the person who wrote it and some of the other 
people on this cabal feel better about themselves what than does, American uh, people the, know. The, the because office, all it says is yeah. enrages Trump and makes their position weaker and increases the paranoia in the White House and makes them less stable and less willing to listen to anybody else and uh, totally undercuts what they say that they're attempting to do. The yeah. author does say this isn't the work of the so-called deep state. It's the work of the steady state. In other words, we're the people in, inside who are trying to keep things under control and not, not allow him to do more damage kind of than than he already has. But right. Tomato, constitutional crisis. But after, you know. after the treason, he said, in the, in the interest of national security, the New York Times has to reveal the name of this person, right? The, I, I was actually surprised that it had taken Trump this long to argue that news organizations needed to reveal the names of anonymous sources. Like, I feel like when whoever put that in his ear, I feel like he was like, why didn't I think of this before? I yeah. should always force these organizations to do this, which they're not going to do, but he's certainly going to try to push it. he ties it to yeah. national security right. like he ties tariffs to national security, right? Yeah, national under- security is his own personal insecurities being soothed at this point. Yeah. I mean, you, you see the president of the United States looking for consolation from North Korea's dictator this morning uh, in a tweet. So like, oh, I didn't see that oh yeah, well, uh, like thanking Kim Jong Un for for you know the, oh. the words of support or something. Yeah. I don't remember the exact wording right. of it. So um, you are right there on the front lines, Eugene. You cover the White House every day. You and I talked a little bit about this. All right, Cameron, who wrote it? I mean, I have my suspicions. A lot of people are jumping to to the vice president because of the word lodestar. <laughs> Uh, which Mike Pence I've heard used before, uh, and it's a weird word that no, I kind of had to. Oh, I've never up. heard. I've never heard Mike Pence use the word <laughs> lodestar. <laughs> Have we, Peter, at all? For those of us, that the lodestar of the rulemaking process is that, and so vigilance and resolve will be our lodestar. That's going to continue to be a lodestar. Jack's lodestar as our lodestar. Lodestar. Eight different times people have him on tape. That's, 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 that's a lodestar runner right there. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I, I do think that people in the White House and the administration are very paranoid. And I've seen this myself where they use, you know, in early in the administration, I kind of noticed this myself when I would get background stuff sometimes. They would intentionally use phrases that other people would use in the White House to throw Hmm. off oh, the no, scent. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and actually, uh, Axios wrote about this this morning. Mike Allen, I think, had something about this, or Jonathan Swan, um, where they're like, yeah, they, they use a phrase that they notice somebody else uses a lot, so it sounds like the other person so that they don't get blamed for it. So who the heck knows wrote this? This could, I mean, my, my initial reaction, I, I was thinking it might be Steve Mnuchin because, like, he has been highly critical of, of the president behind the scenes. Uh, but... It could be. That's what's baffling about this is, like, and and really mind blowing is it could be a dozen people. It could be somebody we're not even thinking of. I saw somebody float, um, Susan Wilson, uh, or uh, Heather Wilson, sorry, yeah. uh, Air Force head, former congresswoman, moderate. Uh, yeah, and actually that would make sense to me because she was such a fan and accolade and devotee of John McCain. Former New, uh, New Mexico. But don't you think it's got to be? You know, I could be, don't you think it has to be somebody inside the White House, not out in the agencies? I don't know. The way it read to me felt more like, uh, and, and I would be surprised if the New York Times, like it wasn't either a senior White House official mm-hmm. or a cabinet level person, right. because they would 
if this came out, who yeah, you know, like a they, they have their own integrity, and right. b like that would destroy the paper if it turns out this is like some like some, low level flat sure, somewhere. Sure. Uh, but I mean that that's still you know that that so that leaves a universe of what about you three dozen who, people? I was just thinking, you do, and it could it, be a dozen of them. Right. It could be. Who was that guy that Kellyanne Conway didn't know the name of the uh, the, yeah, only, the, the only the only black guy the only black guy yeah. in the way she she yeah. knew his first name she didn't know his last name remember? yeah no I mean I I can't remember his some name low as level well guy. But yeah there were pieces there were pieces Jonathan on him. or Jared or but yeah I saw reporting yesterday yeah, I I'm, his name. I'm I believe it's probably a cabinet member or a senior official as well because I think that would the the Times is now in a position where they're on the defense and they I think they would want to argue that. If this individual said this, it justifies us doing and this. And if it were somebody yeah. really low level, yeah. they would be, I have egg on their face. And as you pointed out, I'm pretty sure we're going to find out who this is. I, I believe I so. think whoever did this did this for posterity's sake. I think yeah. whoever put this out put this out so that they, they, they see the train coming and they want to make sure that when everything gets flattened, they can say, look, I so, was trying to help. So the reference to the 25th Amendment is pretty telling, too, right? I mean, does that help point the finger to Mike Pence? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, like, I, yeah. I, I think it's almost besides the point of who it is. I think it's more interesting the fact that there could be a dozen people, yeah. senior in the White House and administration, cabinet-level people, who could be doing this. And I yeah. think we've seen a lot of evidence that at least a half a dozen of yeah. them, if not more, are. And they That's kn- crazy. They are. And they know who they are. Yeah. Right? And they're cooperating, right? Did you stop that, or can how can we stop this? They yeah. must be talking. No, they're working together. together. They're working yeah. together. Which which leaves the idea that I mean, it's this so, just who, one person, right? Could it have been a team of person people who came together to put forward something? Together. Yeah, you know? who's running the country? <sighs> Do we really want to know? <laughs> I mean, I, uh, the deep state. I like. I mean, who like who is in charge here? Like, like I think that basically Trump does things that occasionally they can't constrain him, and then things happen. And we saw that with some of these trade deals. Uh, you know, we, we've seen that in both directions with North Korea. First with the uh, saber rattling, and then with this this meeting. Uh, other times, I mean, we clearly see him being constrained and. You know, whatever he says about Russia, there's new sanctions against uh, the Ru- some of the Russian oligarchs that came through that he was kind of forced into accepting and they're being applied. We, we just saw uh, Kirsten Nielsen yesterday, and I was going to try – I got one question in Trump. I didn't get my second one before this bombshell hit. was going to ask him if he agreed with her, basically saying that, Trump was a, that, that Russia was a bad actor uh, and that did meddle in the 2016 elections and – we needed to watch out for future meddling from Russia in elections. Kirsten Nielsen, you know, head of DHS, very close to John Kelly, said that. So, you know, the, the, and and they often have more power, especially because Trump a is very isolated right now. And I think that we're actually in a dangerous point because the more increasingly isolated and cornered he feels, he's going to lash out like like a cornered animal. And he does have some powers, and sometimes he can just punch through. Um, whether that would be firing the attorney general or, or trying to kill the Mueller investigation uh, or, you know, once he has his man Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, which seems pretty likely, um, y- you know, basically refusing to hand over any documents to the Democrats if they take over the House at any point. 
uh, which would be another constitutional crisis that would go to the Supreme Court. And who knows, especially with Kavanaugh's earlier opinions well, about, you know, basically right. the president can do whatever he wants. Let's yeah. See where that goes. Well, that, right. That, that, I, I, you know, we haven't talked enough about the Kavanaugh hearing today, I think, because of this op-ed, this op-ed piece. But with the Kavanaugh thing, that was, I think, the key uh, line of, uh, of questioning yesterday was on his beliefs about presidential powers. Hmm. Uh, and Eugene, he sort of seemed to want to have, both way, have it both ways, right? right. He said... Nobody's above the law. On the other hand, I'm not going to tell you whether I think a president has to answer a subpoena. Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems to be saying, well, yeah, in some cases a president is above the law. Yeah, I think it was pretty inconsistent with uh, the piece he wrote in the Minnesota Law Review that is that led so many liberal lawmakers to ask these questions. Their deep concerns about how he will rule and if he is more loyal to the politics um, and the partisanship of uh, the party and the individual who put him in the position to be a nominee or if he's going to be more faithful to uh, the laws that uh, our, our forefathers and our and those who've shaped the laws throughout history have decided are in the best interest of the American public. I don't he, think we we know as clearly as we would like to where he'll stand there. Now, Cam, he would not say whether he would recuse himself from from such cases were they to come before the Supreme Court, which it seems... <laughs> seems to say that he wouldn't. I mean, yeah. if you're not going to commit to recusing yourself on a thing, that means you're not and committing... There's a, 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 at least um, a good likelihood that a case involving Donald Trump will come to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah. I I, th- I mean, I don't want to say a certainty, but I yeah, think, I think right. you know, near certainty mm-hmm. that, that that's where this is heading because, uh, yeah, I mean, frankly, every president un- under investigation has done this. And we saw Nixon ended up at the Supreme Court. Clinton wound up at the Supreme Court. Um, and if you think those guys were trying to hide something, I mean, like, mm-hmm. I mean who, who knows whether Trump is Nixon level. But uh, right. I think there's evidence, you know, there's some evidence that, that we're heading that direction. Right. Um, and so, so, yeah, I mean, like this is going and he's going to have two of his own guys that he appointed on the Supreme Court. Right. Uh, so if we get to the point where, I, I mean, I I'm not ready to say this is like a you know the, the, a rigged election. I, I I don't I'm not there. Um, but you know if if Trump did illegal things to get into the White House, and then because he was in the White House, got to appoint two Supreme Court justices that basically the Republicans rammed through in the Senate after changing the filibuster rule, mm-hmm. uh, after stealing mm-hmm. the, let's be frank stealing the Gorsuch the, seat the Gorsuch uh, from seat. Democrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, then and then it's a five to four decision to protect Trump at the Supreme Court with those two justices siding with the two conservatives, or the three other conservatives. I, I, I mean, it, that that leaves us essentially with that, them having rigged the system throughout. And even if somehow, and I yeah, think it's unlikely about, Trump gets impeached, uh, we we get you know Democrats win uh, in a landslide in twenty eighteen and twenty twenty. They've retaken uh, the city. We just locked in a conservative Supreme Court for probably until you know my kids are my age, right. you know, whenever yeah. I have kids. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, it's this is a fundamental shift that cannot be undone. Right. Sure, sure, and they're going to be there. I mean, they're going to be there, and so so much farther to the right than the rest of the country, as you point out, forever and ever. So this Kavanaugh thing, one person has got to be watching that. Uh, this little transition here is Joe Donnelly. Uh, the senator Democrat from uh, Indiana who's running for re-election, who the last time I saw is like seven points ahead, which is about a minute and a half. But yeah, he was up uh, on w- with the Libertarian in the race, uh, likely yeah. voter screen, which I think is probably the best one to look at right now. He's up three mm-hmm. against Mike Braun. 
um, which is a good number to be as a, a Democrat running for re-election in a state that Trump won so handily. Uh, I think Republicans were hoping at this point that they would essentially have three or four Democrats dead to rights at this point, like they had in 2014 yeah. in these really, really Trumpy states. Hmm. And we're looking at really Heidi Heitkamp is the only one that, that that Democrats and Republicans agree is probably facing an uphill battle. But yeah. Democrats don't think she's done. Claire McCaskill and Joe Donnelly, we've seen polling in recent days that shows them very much in the fight. Donnelly ahead. Uh, if they, if McCaskill and Donnelly win and Bill Nelson, who all of a sudden looks ties in the polls again, can win in Florida. And John Tester. And Tester's in good shape. Mansion's in good shape. There's mm-hmm. a lot of folks they thought were really going to have, mm-hmm. have targets on their backs that are you know upper, upper single digits, lower double digits in the lead, are coasting. Um, Democrats have still have an outside shot of taking back the Senate. Yeah. Basically, if, if, if McCaskill and Donnelly win, and generally we see yeah. these races all tend to break the same way at the end of the day, <laughs> then all they have to do is win, this is not easy, but Arizona, Nevada, which look pretty right. good, and then either Tennessee and or Texas, Tennessee. which... Yeah, especially Tennessee doesn't look impossible go, right now. Go, well, go Bredesen. Yeah. I, mean, I think he's more likely That's than Bredesen at this point. Yeah, on that, it's on not an impossibility. On that positive note, we're still lots more to talk about we never got to, but <laughs> we are out of them. Eugene Scott, so good to see you, my friend. Thanks for Thanks having me. Bill. Thanks for coming in. And Cameron Joseph at TalkingPointsMemo.com, WashPost.com. See you tomorrow. Bill Press Show.